Well, if you notice, we don't have to search very deep. We don't have to look too far to notice that there are many opportunities all around us. We see it on CNN, MSNBC, WICU, TV12. It's all over news. It's everywhere. In fact, those that we talk to one-on-one or those even that we meet within our region or in our state or even among our city, we notice that there's opportunities all around to serve, whether it's in Japan or whether it's in Haiti, whether it's right here in Erie, Pennsylvania. We have numerous opportunities to be serving and to loving our community. And of course, as followers of Christ, the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of any follower of Jesus is to love and to serve those and to see that opportunity and to invest in that opportunity through our love and our service to those in a tangible way. And to us, that's the most logical way. A lot of times we feel that if there is somebody in need, the logical way to do it is to help them through service, to love them, to help them tangibly in the need that needs to be met in that moment or at that time. And one thing that I stated a few weeks ago when I had preached, I had said this, that God never executes a logical plan. How many of you remember that? That's good. I'm glad that that stuck with you. Wow. But I appreciate your honesty. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you any more questions from now on. Well, we see all throughout the Word of God that God never executes a logical plan. I think of the example in the book of Acts when Peter and John were on their way into the temple, it says, and they passed through the gate beautiful, and there was a, there was a beggar who was there. And the beggar was a paralytic. And I recall when he asked, he was asking for financial help. He was asking for a few bucks. And now, obviously, for us, the logical thing to do as human beings would to, what? Reach in our pockets, sift through our wallets, and hand out some change. Or maybe go buy him a meal, or something of that sort. That's the logical thing to do. But Peter and John had something different. It was an encounter with the kingdom that they began to process things totally different. So the total illogical plan that they execute is that Peter looks over at the guy— And he says to him, look, here's the deal, dude. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. I don't have any ones. I don't have any fifties, and I don't have any hundreds. But what I do have is Jesus Christ. So now in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And it says that the beggar got up and walked. Now, how many of us have done that this week? You know, I mean, think about it. How many of us were at the job site, whether or maybe we're at Wegmans or Giant Eagle or we're just driving down the road and we're at the intersection and we see somebody who is in need and they ask us for money, what was our initial response? Well, I don't have any 50s or 10s or 1s and I can't buy you a meal, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, be saved. We don't do that because to us, that's not logical. But God operates on this whole total plane of being illogical and taking the things that we would understand to be as wisdom And really says that our wisdom is foolishness, but the wisdom of God is so far greater. But before, what I want to talk about us today, before we get started, is is I want to talk to us about our opportunity to pray. Now, before you check out mentally, because I mentioned the P word, I, uh, I want you to track with me for a few minutes. Because I want to talk about how important it is for prayer in our lives that prayer always precedes 
the opportunity to serve and love our community. One thing is, is loving community and seeing the opportunity means that we need prayer. So I'm going to give you the skinny on prayer today. First of all, we have to understand that prayer attaches us to the opportunity. But you say, what opportunity? Well, here's the whole thing. Prayer is not only about an opportunity to have dialogue with the creator of the universe. Prayer is an opportunity to love and to serve those who are in need in our community. I think a great example is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, where we have this prophet named Elijah. And there's a drought in the land. There hasn't been any precipitation for months, for a long time. And Elisha says to the king, he says, go ahead and get your chariot ready, and I want you to run now because the rain is about to come. Now, Elijah being the prophet, he could have been a real jerk, and he could have been real cocky, and he could have gotten in their face and said, well, if you just love the Lord the right way, everything would fall into place, and it would start to rain, and crops would grow, and things would be fine, but he didn't. He took this different way of serving the place that was in need, and it says in the word that he went up on top of this mountain and he knelt down on his knees. And it says that he tucked himself down deep and he began to pray. He began to pray, and as he began to pray, he would stop and he would check. He would look on the horizon. And if he didn't see anything in the horizon, he would go back, kneel, and begin to pray again. And nothing was in the horizon. Then he, went, he goes back, he kneels down again, he begins to pray. And all of a sudden, the word tells us that there was a cloud in the sky the size of a man's fist in the distance. And the word tells us that it began to rain over that place. Now, a lot of times we look at it and we bypass the whole prayer part. We bypass the whole perseverance for the opportunity to come about. And we get all excited about, hey, the man of God said it was going to rain and it rained. But see, it didn't rain until after Elijah chose to serve his community through prayer. Where he began to self-sacrifice, give up time. And begin to intentionally invest into the moment that would occur through prayer. This was the type of tune that the Apostle Paul was endeavoring to play for followers of the Lord in the Church of Colossae. See, the Church of Colossae really wasn't much different than what we have today. A lot of times, with our mindset, we feel that, you know... Back then, if we were living in the Bible, that things were great and awesome, and it was a bed of roses, and, you know, they were following Jesus, and they were on fire, and they were excited, and they had no persecution and no tribulation, and they didn't know what it meant to be made fun of. But it's really no different with what was going on in the Church of Colossae than it is now. They had a plethora of gods. They believed in emperor worship. Whereas here we have a plethora of gods, and we haven't, yet, we haven't yet got to that place of emperor worship, but I guarantee you it probably will come. The Word of God tells us. And so really, the church of Colossae was no different than what we are now. So we're going to look in the book, book of Colossians today, and we're going to dig in there to see what the Apostle Paul was talking to us about opportunity. Because here's the reason why we need prayer. To find the rhythm of God to find the rhythm of God. That's the first thing that we need. See, rhythm is a movement 
that is marked by reoccurrence. It happens over and over and over. For example, we woke up this morning, and we all know that by a certain time this evening, the day will begin to flow into nighttime. And then we know by a certain point tomorrow morning, early, early morning, the, the nighttime will begin to flow into day. And we know this, that it continually reoccurs over and over and over. It never stops. It'll just keep going. We know. So we know today, when we shut our eyes tonight, that we will wake up, and after dark, there will be light again. It's just like the tide. The tide comes in at a certain point during the day, and it goes back out, and it continues to reoccur. The seasons, except for Erie, uh, we normally see this pattern. I know some of us have forgotten what it is, but I'll remind you because there is hope. Um, Normally, we start with spring, then we work into summer, then we work into fall, then into winter, and then winter, and then winter. Somewhere in there, spring is supposed to happen again. So we're believing in the name of Jesus um, that we will see, uh, really see spring here out out of winter. But the rhythm of God is constantly reoccurring. It's never ending. There's always something going on with God and things going on in the Spirit. And the way we connect with that, the way we find out this rhythm that God is moving and what he is saying and what, is he, what he is presenting to us is through prayer. I want you to look with me in the book of Colossians here regarding our opportunities and what Paul says to us. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 2. He tells us this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. See, finding the rhythm of God means that we're to respond to what he's calling us to do. We have to respond to what he's calling us to do. The only way we know what he's calling us to do is for us to stop, to listen, to refocus, and to begin to pray accordingly as to what we're sensing he's saying to us. See, prayer isn't this big, confusing thing. I mean, tons of books have been written on prayer, but the reality is, is prayer is just communicating with God. That's what it is. Just the way you communicate with your friends is the same way you dialogue with God. The way you talk to your spouse is the way you dialogue with God. The way you have conversations in everyday life, the way we exchange words through our mouth and as we talk, it's dialoguing with God. There's nothing complex about it. Sometimes we get in this rut where we feel we have to work ourselves up to pray And we have to have the right set of music playing in the background so that we can pray the right thing in the right time. And I don't believe that. I believe that as followers of Christ, because we have this position with God, when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, and we invite Him into our hearts and make Him Lord of our life, we now have this new route, this new direction. And so we don't need to turn on the radio or to put on our first ship our favorite worship CD and play that and and get in the mood in the moment in order to pray. I believe that because we have this, we can be in the hospital and we can pray in that moment. I believe that we can be in the midst of the city serving people and we can pray in that moment. 
And I believe that if we can't get this down, if we as the body of Christ as a whole can't get down this discipline of praying for the opportunity, then we are going to be very, very, very in trouble before the return of Christ. Because I believe that we won't have the opportunity to turn on our iTunes or our iPod and listen to our favorite worship or have that moment to say, I'm sorry, give me 10 minutes just to get in tune with the Spirit. I believe that the body of Christ will need to be in constant communication with God and have a lifestyle and a discipline of prayer, hearing what the Lord is saying, praying for every opportunity that comes our way that we can take advantage of it in the moment and be in the rhythm of God. One thing that I've learned is that Paul exhorts us to continuously observe. The reason he says be watchful is to observe. Because, here's the thing, if we stop observing, if we stop being watchful and disciplined in our life of prayer, that means we become lethargic and our spiritual senses begin to lessen. And then therefore, we lose the rhythm of God. And when we lose the rhythm of God, and we become lethargic in our ways and the way we think and with our eyes, when our eyes become dim spiritually, we miss the opportunities to invest into the lives of those in our community and we miss the opportunities to invite them into the community of faith and to partake in what we're doing. As we remain in an unbroken communication with Jesus, we're able to flow into the center of the opportunity and invest into the lives of those around us and love them like Jesus, that creates a door for the message. I really truly believe that as followers of Christ, it is important that we have a lifestyle that is filled with prayer and that we don't take it lightly. That we don't take opportunities that occur in the grocery store or the opportunities that occur on our campuses or the opportunities that occur in, in the locker at school, that we don't take those lightly. I believe that God puts those in our path for specific times and specific reasons, and I believe that he equips us for those moments. But how would we know if we're not communicating with God? How would we know if that's the right moment? How would we know what to say if in the right time for the right situation if we're not praying and dialoguing with God? I don't believe in winging it, quote-unquote. I really don't believe that. And I don't think as Christ followers we're called to wing it in the moment. I believe that you can read as many books as you want on evangelism, but I can tell you one thing. What will overpower any book written on evangelism is your willingness to discipline yourself to pray and hear the voice of God, and then you'll know what to say in the moment. I think we just get too easily settled in to not depending on the word of God, but depending on every author that is out there except the author. The author of evangelism, the author of investing, the author of inviting, the author of prayer. I want to welcome somebody up here with me to join me today. Dan Sheldon, if, would you please come up here and come up here and hang out with me for a moment, please? I want to introduce you to Dan. Some of you have heard Dan's story, but we're not going to focus on Dan's testimony today, but I want to talk to Dan a little bit about how he came to know Christ. Come on up here, Dan.
So Dan and I were talking, and I want Dan to share just a little bit of his story with you briefly, because I was talking to Dan, and I said, you know, Dan, how did you come to really know Jesus? And uh, so go ahead and tell us. Well, how I came to know Jesus, uh, actually I was in the, how can I say this without uh, offending people, but I was looking at hardcore pornography on online, and a voice came into my head and said, you can't do this. It's not how you're going to be a good father. It's not how you're going to be a good husband. And uh, the Holy Spirit led me to know Jesus. But I also had other people in my life who had uh, introduced me to Jesus before that. So who was that? Who was it that invested into your life? Uh, for the most part, it was there was throughout my life, there were different people. My parents took me to church. There was a guy at a place that I worked at that talked to me a lot. But for the most part, it was uh, Debbie and Gary Aborski. They, mm. they were the ones who really invested in me. Okay, so um, I know that we, we can't bring uh, Gary up here now, uh, but one thing is, is I have this real strong sense and this hunch that Gary and Debbie both, I imagine, and talking from the both of them, were in continuous prayer for you as they invested into your life. It's, as far as I know, they were. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie always told me she prayed continuously for me. So That's what I thought. And then so there came a point where as they were investing into you that they said to you, you know, why don't you come and join our community of faith? Absolutely. They invited me many times. All right. And now you're still here, right? And now I'm still here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Okay, now, so that's really great. That's awesome to hear. But did you catch what he said? He said that Debbie always let him know that she was praying for him. She was praying for him. She was investing into him through prayer. Her and her husband together were investing into this man's life through prayer for every opportunity that they would have to spend time with him and then invite him into the community of faith. When we attach ourselves to the opportunity through prayer, wisdom tells us to buy out. Wisdom tells us to buy out. Now, how many of you know that Jesus was a businessman? Some of you are probably disagreeing right now and saying you have bad theology, but I'm going to prove to you that Jesus was a businessman. Number one, Jesus always said what? He was about his father's what? Oh! <laughs> you walked into that one. Two of the most, uh, well, three of the things that Jesus talked about most was love. What else? Money. So he knew about finances. Oh. <laughs> I won't do that anymore. Uh, but anyway, so he talked about finances. He was a carpenter, which meant that he had a vocation aside from being the son of God. He physically worked, which meant that he was a carpenter, which meant that he would have earned funds for what he did. So he knew about it. And then final, the biggest thing that tells us that Jesus was a businessman was that he was willing to go to the cross and he paid full price in fullness, didn't bargain anyone down, didn't try to cheapen it, and went straight to the cross for all of us. That's because he was about his father's business. So Jesus is a businessman. And the word of God tells us to buy out. Prayer is about aligning, aligning ourselves with God's business. And the only way we know if we are in God's business and aligned with it is by dialoguing with God. Look at verse 5 with me. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. 
make the most of every opportunity. Paul instructs us to be full of intelligence in the way that we conduct ourselves around people who have not encountered Jesus. Now, the intelligence here isn't necessarily talking about the great wisdom of God. He's just saying, use common sense. Be wise in the way you conduct yourself, in the way that you live your life. Be wise in the way you speak things and say things to other people. That phrase, make the most of every opportunity, actually means to buy or to purchase or to completely give yourself to it. That's why God tells us to buy out. We must first pray for the opportune time to invest and invite. That word opportunity there, it actually is the Greek word kairos. It means opportune time. So it's important that we begin to pray for those opportune times on a regular basis in our lives. So when you're at the restaurant and the waiter interrupts you and just begins to talk to you in the midst of your conversation, and it's not just about food anymore, but you willingly ask them how they're doing, and you really mean it, and they begin to dialogue with you about their life. And instead of getting into a rush and giving the typical, oh yeah, that's great, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. yeah, uh-huh, okay, And instead of giving that typical response and investing into that moment and looking at that moment and retract how you prayed that morning and said, okay, God, I pray that you give me that opportune time to invest into those that I encounter today. You get back to that point and you take your time in that moment. It's when you're on the campus this week and that person that you know that you're not fully connected to, but you know in a level of acquaintance. You know them because you see them on the campus. You know them because they say hi to you, they say hello, but they stop you and they begin to talk to you about their life situation. And instead of doing this where you're looking at your watch and you're thinking like, I got this to do today and I got this report to hand into, school's almost out and I'm prepping. Instead of doing that, what if we just began to think about the moment where we prayed that morning and said, God, give me that opportune time just to talk, just to invest to be Jesus in the moment. What if when we get that phone call in the middle of the night and we really look at the caller ID and then we look at our alarm clock and we really don't feel like answering the phone? What if we resorted back to that time that we prayed that morning where we asked God to give us those opportune times? We have to totally give in to the whole thing We can't pay halfway. We can't pay for half and put it on layaway or put it on credit and say, I'll get to it later. Jesus tells us we have to buy out. We have to put it all in, all at one time. I have this friend named Dawn, and this was so wild, and I learned a lot in this moment. We were on our way back last weekend from a conference, and we pulled into the gas station to refuel our van. And so there's this guy on the other side of the gas pump, and he's just standing there filling up his tank, and I'm filling up my, my tank in, in the freezing cold. And, um, and I remember, because I looked like an idiot, because I was, like, jumping up and down, and I'm going, like, this to stay warm. And uh, Don's just standing there, and he's just looking around, and all of a sudden he makes eye contact with this guy pumping gas. And so Don walks over, 
And he's like, hi, how you doing? Guy's like, good. He said, you traveling today? He said, yeah, actually I am. He says, oh, yeah, we are too. And I'm just sitting here now. Honestly, I was getting a little uncomfortable. I mean, I know followers of Jesus don't get uncomfortable, but, you know, and, and so I started, I'm like, what is Don doing? Is, is he, like, going to try and lead this guy to Jesus? I mean, wouldn't want to do that. So anyway, so I'm standing there pumping gas, and I'm watching the numbers go, and, and Don starts engaging with this guy. And he said, so where are you headed? And so the guy tells him, he says, oh, he says, so you were visiting up here? He says, yeah. He says, oh. He says, yeah, we just got back from this conference. The guy says, oh, really, a conference? What was it? He said, all these men gathered together, and we're just serving Jesus, learning how to be better men of God. And the guy's like, oh, really? And I'm like, oh, no, it's starting to get uncomfortable now. You know, I'm like, I'm waiting for Don to, like, pull out a track, you know? And, and I'm just like, oh. Now, you're laughing, but you're laughing because it's true. We all go through this. And so anyway, by the end of the conversation, Don is engaged with this guy, and they begin to talk about Jesus. Now the guy, I, I would love to say that the guy right there on the spot accepted Christ and, and all that, but he didn't. But here's what I took away from that. We got into the van, and uh, Don, and I were sitting beside, Don and I were sitting beside each other. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking around, and I'm like thinking, how do I approach this with Don? Because I felt the conviction. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in me. It wasn't about me being uncomfortable that was uncomfortable. It was because the Holy Spirit was telling me to tune in to what was going on. But I was too worried about my pride. I was too worried about the moment. What if he said no? And I look over at Don and I said, hey, how did you do that? He said, I prayed for it this morning. I said, what? He says, every morning when I wake up, I pray that God will give me the opportunity to speak to somebody about Christ. He recognized it. And he invested into it. He went all out in the moment. He didn't look around and, and think to himself, gosh, it's freezing cold out here. I better go get in the van and warm up. He took time in the midst of the freezing cold to talk to this guy about Jesus Christ. And a seed was planted. I'll say this to us. We have to stop acting like hippies of the faith. And we have to become intentional followers of Jesus. Here's what I mean. No offense to those of you who were in the 60s and part of that, but the whole thing of, hey man, when it happens, it happens, we got to do away with it as the body of Christ. We got to do away with it. We got to stop looking at opportunities and saying, dude, whenever it happens, man, it happens. Like whenever, like God puts that person in need in front of me, man, like, I'll be available. But, like, I'm not going to look for it. I mean, Jesus, you know, he's spiritual, man. It's like he, you know, it's just like he just comes down then. And, you know. But that's how we act. That's how we live as followers of Christ. We have no intentionality. We need to be followers of Christ that are intentional, that when we awake in the mornings and we go throughout our day, that we are praying for opportunity to invest into the lives of those who do not know Christ. And when that opportunity comes, we're in the rhythm of God. We buy out in the moment. We give everything up to invest into that moment of that individual instead of looking at it and being like, Shh, when it happens, it happens. 
We have to become intentional in what we do. Finally, if we wanna, want the opportunity, we have to realize that pure speech equals divine favor. Paul mentions this in his scriptures, but before I get there, before I knew Jesus, I used to work as a chef professionally. There's always this motto about chefs, if you don't know it. They always said that we drink like fish and we swear like sailors. I never really understood that until I started to live the lifestyle. Every word out of my mouth was the F word, and it wasn't fellowship, just so I'm clear. But everything that I did and every conversation that took place, the F word was dominant. And then I gave my life to Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I'm going to be very honest, there wasn't this immediate massive transformation where I just began to live this life of holiness. I struggled with swearing. And there were times where I would have to go apologize to people because I began to claim I was a follower of Jesus, and I had to go back and, and apologize to them for what I said to them because it was vulgar, it was wrong. But when I started to pray for opportunity to invest into others, God began to transform my language. And my speech began to change. Now you're saying, but wait a minute, I don't have a problem with swearing. Oh, don't worry, I'm going to get to the other things that involve our language. Just let's look at verse 6. Verse 6, this is what Paul says. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. So Paul tells us, pray for the opportunity. Give yourself wholeheartedly in the moment. But then he hits on the speech thing. And he talks about being this example. Well, that word speech actually encompasses gossip, slander, lying, swearing, and all forms of manipulation. That word grace denotes divine favor, meaning that it's, it's given. It's not earned. We can't wrestle for it. We can't pay the right price for it. It's just given to us. And so that phrase seasoned with salt means that our conversation must always be wholesome and pure in everything that we say. And that even means when we're posting on Facebook, when we're tweeting on Twitter, and when we're texting. It means that our conversations with our spouse should be wholesome and pure, seasoned with salt. It should have this element of grace on it where there's this divine favor when you communicate with your spouse. That there should be no room for manipulation in the moment to get them to do this or this so your agenda is set first. It means that with your coworkers, the coarse joking and the gesturing doesn't happen. It means that the gossip and the slander that you're doing so you can solve the problem has to end. I have come to realize this, that that divine favor that Paul is talking about is quenched, meaning it's doused, meaning it's like this great big fire that's burning bright, but when we begin to gossip, a little bit of water goes on the fire. And when we begin to slander, a little bit more water goes on the fire. And when we begin to lie, a little more water on the fire. And when we begin to coarse joke and jest and 
make fun of people and all for the sake of our own, a little more water goes on the fire. Then when we begin to manipulate the situation, a little more water on the fire, before we know it, we have lost our fire and our divine favor. And we stand around and say, I don't get it. I don't know why I don't have favor in the opportunity. I don't know why I have divine favor, that grace in the midst of that conversation. See, here's my thing, people. We have to have conversation that is anointed and full of power. Because life transformation will take place when our language is aligned with God. Paul talks a lot about idle words. Idle means lazy. When we become lazy or idle with our words and we resort to gossip, that's being lazy. You're being spiritually lazy. Slandering, you're being spiritually lazy. Lying, you're being spiritually lazy. Swearing, you're being spiritually lazy. Gossip, you're being spiritually lazy. And you're losing your divine favor in the moment. The spirit is being quenched in those moments. And our speech and lives, when we speak on wholesome manners, in unwholesome manners, only escalates to the opposite end. It doesn't get better. It just means that we just got soggy, wet ground in our spiritual lives. The reason people are not being transformed in our lives when we begin to look at it is because we have no fire. The divine favor has left because the spirit has been quenched. If you want to begin to talk with power, then look at how you treat your spouse in your home. When you encounter people in the workplace and you say, no, 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 the workplace is different than what goes on in our family life. No, you're believing a lie. Well, no, 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 no. What takes place at school is different than what I do in my bedroom when I'm in private. No, 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 no. You're living a lie. Yeah, but, I mean, we were joking around. It's just a joke. Quenches the spirit. If you want to get within the rhythm of God, you want to invest into the lives of those in the midst of the opportunity that God gives you, and you begin to pray for those opportunities, and you willingly put yourself wholeheartedly into the moment but when you get to that moment and everything seems to cease and your words begin to fall like they're heavy onto the ground and they have no power behind them, reevaluate what you've been speaking. Reevaluate how you've been treating your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance. Reevaluate how you've been treating your employer. Reevaluate how you've been treating your employees. Reevaluate your speech. Because you can have everything all the way up to there, but I tell you what, if your speech isn't aligned with God, nothing's going to happen. I've lived it firsthand. Look with me at Ephesians 4.29. says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Would you please stand? In a minute, 
I'm going to challenge you to a call of greater prayer. But before I get there, I want to reiterate what we talked about this morning because this is important. Because you can come to seek a greater call for prayer, but if you're not willing to align with those elements that I talked about today, it's really no good. So as you're preparing yourself this morning for this, let me remind you that first of all, we need to have a life of prayer so we can attach ourselves to the opportunity or the opportunities. Second of all, we need to get into the rhythm of God. Not the rhythm of TBN, not the rhythm of the latest book that we're reading, We need to get in tune with the rhythm of God through the word and through prayer. Second of all, we need to be willing to buy out. Give ourselves wholly to those that we are praying for and investing in and serving. To willingly give ourselves over to this community and to serve them. And finally, are we willing to change our speech patterns? Are we willing to give up our gossip? Are we willing to give up our slander? Are we willing to give up our backbiting of one another? Are we willing to give up the coarse joking at lunchtime? Are we willing to give those things up? If you are, then you will want to respond to the opportunity that I'm going to give you in a moment as the worship band begins to play. I'm going to call you to a greater call of prayer. And here's what it is. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But before we do that, the worship team is going to sing a song. And we sang it earlier. And the words talk about us surrendering our souls over to God. And so the way we're going to make this a declaration is I'm going to ask you to come and surrender yourself to God fully right here at the altar for a greater life of prayer. For some of you, your prayer time, you're satisfied with it being in the car on the way to work. And God wants to change that. For some of you, your prayer time, you're satisfied with 10 minutes of throwing up a few prayers here and there. God wants to change it. And honestly, I really believe as I've been praying for this message that there is an anointing. There is this divine grace. There is this ability, heavenly ability that God wants to release on you with a spirit of Samuel. Samuel had this ability to pray, and it says that his words never fell to the ground. Yes, he was a prophet, but he was a man. I believe that there's an anointing to receive the spirit of Samuel in prayer, but with the boldness of John the Baptist. And so I'm calling you now. Come on, I'm calling you now. If you want it, come get it. I'm not waiting until the music's right. Come get it right now. If you want it, come get it. This is our turning point. Come get it. I tell you what, if you feel it tugging in your gut, it's not because of what you ate for breakfast. It's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you say, but I'm a prayer warrior. I'm praying 24-7. That's good, but you know what? You might need a refreshing. 
You might be wounded and worn out. You need to get refreshed. You need to get healed. So I'm inviting you to come down and get what God has for you. I'm going to let the worship team sing, and then I'll come back and I will pray for us and dismiss us. But while we're here, yearn for it. Ask for it. Scream out for it in the name of Jesus.
here we are. Jesus, here we are. Our hands are lifted. Our hearts are abandoned to you. Jesus, we're giving you a response of wholehearted commitment. We're asking God, we're tired of the same old, same old. Father, we're asking now, God, for you to release on us a greater call to prayer. Father, to discipline our lives, Lord, to be like that of Samuel with a boldness, God, of John the Baptist, to proclaim prayers forth, Lord God, for the opportunities that you would bring into our lives on a daily basis, God, to invest into the lives of others. Father, we stand here declaring that we're tired of our selfishness. We're tired of investing into our own selves and being satisfied with our own ways. We declare, God, that we are abandoning ourselves today to be attuned to your rhythm, to hear what it is that you're saying to us. And, Father, that our response to you, God, is that we're buying out and investing into the fullness of every opportunity that we have because that's what Jesus would do. So, Father, I ask that our lifestyle will be that of one of prayer. Not just, God, as a to-do list or a give-me list, God, but, Father, that it would be intentional that we begin to pray for opportunities no matter where we go, what we encounter during the day, that you will give us opportunities, that our eyes will be watchful, and that we will take hold of the moments, and we will invest into the lives of those that you have put in front of us. Father, I pray... Let our speech be pure and whole. That our fire will begin to burn at a greater rate, Lord God, than what it has ever burned before. And Father, convict us with the power of the Holy Spirit when our speech begins to quench the Spirit so that we are quick to repent and move forward. Father God, we thank you so much. And we ask God that these words will resonate in our hearts and in our minds and our spirit that you will not let us go. Let us not forget, but let us pursue all the more. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Have a good day.